Is it ever okay for a follower of Jesus to be prideful? Hmm, that's an interesting question, isn't it? We're going to talk about it today on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again. You are listening to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today is Wednesday, March the 21st of 2012. And as always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. God bless you guys, and thank you so much for joining us today. It's a blessing for us just to have you download this message. Join us in our study of uh, the book of Romans is what we're going to be doing today. We're going to be studying Romans chapter 15, verses 17, 18, and the first part of uh, verse 19. Whenever it says verse 19a, that means just the, uh, the first part of, uh, of that verse. So where it says that on the, the podcast description, 19a, that just means we're covering the first half of verse 19. So 17 to 19a is what we'll be covering today. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open to uh, Romans chapter 15, and we'll go ahead and get started with that here in just a moment. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we actually had another listener come and visit us here at Linwood Evangelical Free Church, and uh, I guess she doesn't live too far away from here. Uh, in Edmonds, which is kind of like one uh, one city over, uh, but probably a 10-15 minute drive at most. But man, that was neat. I, I absolutely love it when you guys uh, stop by to visit. And uh, I didn't have any idea that she was even a listener until the end of service. And I went up and introduced myself and she said, oh yeah, I've been listening to you for a long time. And I finally got caught up to the point where you said that you're in Linwood now. <laughs> So praise the Lord. That was uh, that was really awesome. I really enjoy uh, any chance that I get to meet you guys. And of course, you know, I've encouraged you guys in the past, and I continue to encourage you guys to follow me on Twitter or on Facebook. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, had a bunch of my books that are on Kindle, you know, for Amazon's Kindle, had those available for free. And if you were following me, you knew about it, but if you weren't, you didn't. So follow me on Twitter, Toby Logston, T-O-B-Y-L-O-G-S-D-O-N, uh, on Twitter or Facebook, or you can like our group on Facebook. Uh, you'll find stuff there too. So Anyway, uh, sorry about last week. You know, I know that we usually don't have two consecutive lessons in the book of Mark, uh, but last week was kind of a crazy week for me, and then I was going to do the, the podcast yesterday, this lesson yesterday, uh, but my daughter is in honors choir, and she had a concert last night, and she had a solo in the concert, and there she is singing in front of um, probably 1,500 uh parents, siblings, friends, relatives, and it's like, that girl doesn't get nervous. I don't know how she does it. I I would get nervous singing in front of that many people, but um, it's a big deal for her. She loves to sing, and so I figured, you know, I'd better make time for that. So um, I don't have her forever, unfortunately, uh, at least not at this age. So um, yeah, so I went to that yesterday. So we're doing it today instead, Wednesday, uh, which we usually don't do podcasts um, on Wednesdays, but That's all right. Anyway, let's go ahead and get started with a quick word of prayer. God, as we come into your presence today, we just ask that you would teach us more about yourself. Teach us more about what you ask of us. Teach us, Lord, to be more like your son, Jesus. That's the goal, Lord, to be like him through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, one of the, what I would consider to be undeniable truths of Scripture is that if you've come to Jesus and you've trusted in him and him alone for your salvation, every aspect of your life should be radically changed. Every single aspect. Now, don't get me wrong. That's not to say that it happens right away. It doesn't. It takes time. I mean, a lot of time, years. It's a lifelong process. We're all a work in progress. But from the moment that a person trusts in Jesus, everything starts to change. Everything. We become a new creation in Jesus. The old is gone. The new has come. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17, and through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the teaching, the leading, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we learn to let go of our old ways and habits and to replace those things with obedience to Jesus, being conformed to his image through the lifelong process of sanctification. We recognize that our old ways were sinful and corrupt, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we turn away from those old ways, those old habits, those old things that we used to do in the flesh. All too often, however, followers of Jesus at some point attempt to take this process into their own hands. This is part of the learning experience where we try to take things into our own hands. And the result, as we've seen over our study of the past few chapters of the book of Romans, is either a tendency to abuse grace and sin anyway, that's called licentiousness, or to neglect grace and become legalistic. We either abuse grace or neglect grace. To find the balancing point between these two extremes where we're walking in and by grace is difficult because really, let's be honest, it's a lot easier to go to one or the other of those two extremes. Now, one of the things that we have to learn to put away as followers of Jesus is ego, selfishness. I mean, we're born with it. We're taught to embrace it, and yet it's incompatible with the demands of the gospel. Jesus said that if we want to come after him, we must do three things. We must deny ourselves, we must take up our cross, and follow him. That's from Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Just preached on that a couple days ago. This requires complete selflessness on our part. Doing these three things requires complete selflessness on our part if we're going to do these things even a little bit successfully. We're called to make an impact in this world, but not for ourselves. We do it for Jesus because it's not about us. It's about him and only him. Now, as Paul continues to close out his letter to the Romans, he's going to give us some tremendous insight as to just how we can go about making an impact on the world for Jesus. And it involves tying the two main sections of this book of Romans together. Those two parts being chapters 3 through 8 and then chapters 12 through 15. See, throughout this letter to the church in Rome, Paul's provided new instructions to the followers of Jesus in Rome, and he's reminded them of many of the truths that most of them probably already knew. But why did he write all this out? Because the book of Romans as a whole spells out exactly what we need to not only successfully follow Jesus, but to impact the world, to impact everyone around us for the glory of God. And thus Paul continues, writing in Romans chapter 15, verses 17 to 19a. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, because this passage starts out with the word therefore, we want to see what it's therefore, right? We want to look back because Paul's giving us an explanation for something here. In this case, if we look back to the previous passage, the one that we studied in our last lesson, we see that Paul's referring to the fact that he saw the Gentiles as an offering of sorts that he was offering up to the Lord. In other words, he wasn't referring in the previous passage to some type of offering that the Gentiles would make. No, he was referring to the offering that they are in his perception. Paul's specific calling in ministry was to bring the gospel message to the Gentiles, which, by the way, was no easy task by any stretch of the imagination. But it was one that Paul committed himself wholeheartedly to doing. Now, in the previous verse, verse 16, he pointed out that by the grace of God, he was a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And it's kind of interesting to note, the Greek word for priest was used to refer to the priests who would ceremonially perform sacrifices that were given up as an offering to God in the temple. And Paul saw himself in that role, but the offering that he gave was the people that he was appointed to minister to, the people that he was assigned to impact with the gospel. Now, as a pastor, I can tell you that there is this great spiritual and emotional burden and responsibility that we feel for the people that we minister to. I mean, I have to answer to God for the spiritual health of the people who are in my congregation. That is a big responsibility. For that reason, I take the position of the pulpit very, very seriously. It's not a place for someone to come in and make some sort of flippant or or even questionable discussion. It's the same with all of you, by the way, my listeners. The last thing I want to do is say or do something that would cause you to stumble in your walk with Jesus. And if there's ever anything that I say or that I do that doesn't make you fall more in love with Jesus, man, I I take that type of thing really, really seriously. I'd rather be doing nothing and be no one than lead you away from Jesus. And I know that that's the attitude that's not only required of me, but that's required of anyone and everyone who ministers to others. Every small group leader, for example, every Sunday school teacher, or even the parent who wants to lead their children spiritually. Really, this is the burden that all of us should be accepting because our words and our actions always have the potential to either move people closer to Jesus or away from him. Now, we're all called to ministry, not just pastors. Every follower of Jesus is called to ministry, and the Holy Spirit has gifted and empowered each one of us for that very reason. So what Paul's saying here applies to all of us. If we're contributing to the spiritual development and walk of others, we should see those individuals as something of an offering that we're making to the Lord. Now that means that every contact that we have with another person carries the potential opportunity to give something to God. When someone cuts us off in traffic or gives us the, you know, the famous one finger salute, you know what I'm talking about, our old nature would have dictated that we retaliate. But in light of this perspective, the fact that every Uh, every interaction we have with people has the potential to give something to God. In light of that reality, we should see it as a chance to reflect God's grace when people sin against us. Maybe that means that we smile back to the person, wave and nod apologetically. You know, that person usually isn't actually our enemy, but even if that's how we actually see them, Jesus instructed that we love our enemies 
and forgive those who sin against us or offend us. That's hard to do, but that's what we're called to do. Now, I want you to pay close attention to Paul's feelings about offering the Gentiles as an offering to the Lord. He says that he has found reason for boasting. Depending on your translation, maybe it says he's found a reason to be proud. Now, I know some Christians who really, really struggle with this issue. They really struggle with the concept of boasting or feeling prideful because they think that any type of pride whatsoever is something that we, as followers of Jesus, should always avoid because it's sinful. Is it, though? I mean, should Christians avoid being even remotely prideful of anything? Let me say this in black and white language so there's no question about what I'm saying here. Yes, there is a place for pride and boasting in the life of the Christian. But, and here's the, here's the disclaimer, <laughs> but we need to understand that there are two different types of pride. One is acceptable, one is fine, and the other one is not. So our job is to figure out which is okay and which one is not. Donald Gray Barnhouse points out that the French actually used two totally different words to refer to these two things, one referring to an arrogant pride that causes one to think more highly of themselves than they should, uh, stuck up, in other words, and the other refers to self-respect and high-mindedness. Now, obviously, we want to avoid the former. We want to avoid arrogance or conceit. But the latter is absolutely biblically acceptable. You see, the pride that Paul is feeling isn't based on himself or what he's done through his own ability or determination or whatever. Rather, his pride, his boasting, was in what Jesus was doing through Paul. Look at it this way. When a sacrifice to God was asked for from Cain and Abel, Cain gave God some produce that he felt no attachment to. It was kind of leftovers. But Abel offered up something that he was proud of. It was the best that he had, but he saw that that's what God deserved. And that's why God was pleased with his offering, with Abel's offering, but not with Cain's. See, if we give God the leftovers of our lives, we shouldn't be proud. But if we're taking advantage of opportunities to bear fruit by offering the best that we have, it's okay to be proud when we see fruit come from our efforts, as long as the foundation that the pride is built on isn't ourselves. Does that make sense? Jesus told his followers, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's from John chapter 15, verse 5. Now, I think we should make note of the fact that he didn't say, apart from me, you won't be able to do as much as you can if you're staying close to me. No, that's not what he said. He said, you can do nothing. And this is a really hard lesson to learn. And for a lot of us, this lesson is learned through long, long, dry, drawn-out seasons of bearing little or no fruit. In other words, seasons in life in which we're not making the type of impact on people for the gospel that we're called to. The lesson to abide in Jesus, to walk with and in his power, and to yield to him in uncompromised obedience, this lesson is often learned really painfully. Let's be honest. That's just the way it is. I know that it was for me anyway. And I see the same type of thing in the lives of so many other followers of Jesus. The fact that Paul was abiding in Christ and that the consequence was that lives were being changed as the Gentiles came to trusting in and following Jesus, it didn't result in Paul's glorification. It resulted in the glorification of Jesus. For that reason, Paul looked over the fruit of his ministry 
and he was proud, not because of what he had done. His foundation for that pride wasn't in himself, but because of what Jesus had done through the life of Paul. On his own, Paul knew that the best that he could offer was death. That's what, he, that's what he did. He killed Christians. The best that he could offer before Jesus was death. But through Jesus, he brought life to people, eternal life. Look at what Paul tells us about the type of fruit his ministry was bearing. He says, the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. Now, we should see those two things, word and deed. They don't oppose one another. Rather, they complement one another. Either one is a lot less powerful without the other. It's a dual-edged sword, but we should remember that every sword has only one point, and the point of this dual-edged sword is the glorification of Jesus. That's a little equivocation there, but I think it makes a good point. Pun intended. (laughs) But for us to truly make an impact on the world for Jesus, we have to be armed with these two choice weapons, word and deed. We must speak the truth, but we have to do that respectfully. See, the goal of speaking any truth is always obedient to Jesus. But if we speak the truth rudely or without compassion, the opposite effect will often be the outcome. As I've said so many times before, you guys have heard me say it, the gospel message is already offensive enough in and of itself. That doesn't mean that the gospel messenger should be offensive. The gospel message is offensive, but the gospel messenger should not be offensive. To the contrary, the gospel messenger should be seasoned with both grace and truth. Passion without compassion is all too easily like seasoning your steak with bile rather than salt, to be honest. So speak the truth. That's what it means to be obedient and word, but do so out of compassion rather than through any other motive. The word half of this arsenal is what we read and studied through the first eight chapters of the book of Romans, which was filled with doctrinal truths that we must both embrace and learn to communicate. The second weapon in our arsenal that Paul tells us is our actions our deeds, our works, if you will. See, Paul didn't win people to Christ through simply preaching the word faithfully and obediently. He also won people to Christ by his actions. Some would call this a life song, if you're a fan of casting crowns. Whatever you call it, both word and deed were consistent themes in Paul's writings. We've seen it here in his letter to the Romans, right here in this passage, but we should also note that Paul wrote to the Colossians, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. That's Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. To the church in Corinth, Paul wrote, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. See, if you doubt the importance of works, if you doubt the importance of deeds, Look no further than what Paul said about the false teachers in his letter to Titus, where he wrote, They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. That's from Titus chapter 1, verse 16. That's convicting, man. Paul says in the previous verse that this is what comes out of the person whose mind and conscience are defiled. In other words, even if we profess the right things in word, if we believe all the right things, if our actions, if our deeds, if our works send a different message, we're actually denying Jesus. That's how serious our works and actions and deeds are. Now, Paul mentions two other weapons 
that are in our arsenal, at our disposal. Did you catch what they are? Verse 19. In verse 19, he adds signs and wonders to the list of our artillery. And this is a set of weapons that the world, a lot of times, won't even notice. Sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. We'll we'll talk about that. What we need to understand is that the transformation of a person into the likeness of Jesus is something that we, on our own, are completely incapable and unable to do because it's a sovereign act of God exercising his grace in a person's life. Sometimes my wife and I will be talking about how, you know, we can't believe that this is the life that we're living. You know, we, we feel like, you know, where we were before in Vegas when I was working in the casinos, uh, like that was just a dream because there was just this long, drawn-out season that we had to go through in which God broke and humbled me as I was working in the casino industry in Las Vegas. I, mean, I was a stubborn and prideful person, and believe me, There's no place better to be broken of those horrible qualities than as a casino uh, dealer, table games dealer in Las Vegas. At least that was my experience. I could never have gotten to this point without the Lord's work and blessing in my life. This is his work. It's not mine. He transformed me from someone who was hateful and prideful, arrogant, into someone who was growing in qualities like being gentle, loving, and humble. You see, a lot of people will say that God doesn't do signs and wonders anymore, that he only did them in the times when you know the Bible was being written. The reality, however, is that there is a miracle every single time someone comes to faith in Jesus. Every single time. God is not silent today. What we need to understand is that the signs and wonders that he does today are typically spiritual rather than physical, although I do believe that there are physical signs and wonders today as well. Um, Those instances are simply much more rare. Now, when we're talking about signs and wonders, what do we mean? I mean, can we just like start walking on water and convince people that way? Well, probably not, but we have something that's much more convincing, and that is the conversion and transformation of a worldly person into a godly person. When a hard-hearted and angry person is turned into a compassionate and loving person. When a liar is transformed into a person of truth and integrity. When a casino dealer willingly goes from wholeheartedly pursuing money and material to wholeheartedly pursuing Jesus and his glory alone, no matter what the cost. These are the types of things that are the fulfillment of Jesus' promise that there will be greater works among God's people because he was going to the Father. That's from John chapter 14, verse 12. When you see that type of conversion, that is a sign. That is signs and wonders. Finally, let's not miss how Paul ties all four of these things together. Here in verse 19, he says that they're all done by the same power. They're all done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Words, deeds, signs, and wonders. This is our arsenal. These are the means that we wage spiritual battle and make an impact for Jesus on this world with. But it can't be done on our own. These things can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. If the love of Christ compels you the way that it should, start preparing an offering to the Lord by making an impact on the world, not for yourself, but for Jesus for his fame, and for his glory. Trust and obey God, and leave the consequences, leave the results in his hands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you just for who you are. A God who takes us as we are, and you transform us gradually over the course of our lifetimes into your mold, into the image of your Son, Jesus. 
that we reflect his qualities, his nature, his compassion, his love for people. And God, I just pray that you would teach us to exhibit these four things in our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us to proclaim truth, but to do so out of compassion and love. That you would teach us to show people what it means to love, that we would reflect your grace in our lives and the things that we do. Thank you for this time. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will convict us, teach us, mold us. We are like clay in your hands. We pray, Lord, that you would bless and preserve this message in order that you would be glorified through it. In Jesus' name, amen. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today and keep growing closer to Jesus. After my heart But you were the one whose beauty shines on time after time